0: Don't tell anyone I'm free Don't tell anyone I'm free Hello and welcome to BSD Talk number 128 It's Wednesday, September 12th 2007. Sorry for skipping a week. I was on a little vacation. In the news, EuroBSDCon starts this week in Copenhagen, Denmark. I wish I could be there. Unfortunately, I can't, but I'm sure it's going to be a great time. Also, OpenBSD 4.2 is available for pre order, so if you enjoy that project, please support it by buying CDs, T shirts, and other things. All right, now on to the interview. Today on BSD Talk, we're speaking with Michael Dexter. Welcome back to the show.
1: Thanks for having me back.
0: And I wanted to have you on today to talk about the new release of SysJail, but also some of the recent events that have happened around that. So could you tell me a little bit about the new SysJail and some of the news surrounding it?
1: I was hoping to have a cheery kind of PR talk about SysJail 2.0, and it's indeed a fabulous piece of software, but as you've read, there have been some recent oh, disclosures about vulnerabilities in the SysTrace device on which SysJail depends. That was a bit of a letdown about a month ago when both our software and Robert Watson's report on the subject became public. And today I will tell you some about what can be done here and now with SysJail and a little about, actually a a bunch about the issue as best I can in my terminology and move on to some of the solutions both short term and long term. So SysJL 2.0 is a complete rewrite of our SysTrace based lightweight virtualization system for OpenBSD and NetBSD. It natively supports Compat Linux and Compat FreeBSD and with those tools you, you can sort of use the BSD approach to foreign systems in which you implement a binary API as opposed to launching a kernel in a dummy Zen instance or something, which saves a lot on overhead. So as you've probably read in Undeadly and the like, Robert Watson presented a paper at the First Unix Workshop on Offensive Technologies, and you can Google that with Watson and Woot, W-O-O-T, that should come up. And I must confess, Robert warned Kristaps and I of these theoretical issues in person in in Milan last year at EuroBSDCon, and they have remained quite theoretical until he made his recent presentations he did kindly allow christophs to review the paper before publication and well upon reading the paper things were still quite theoretical but out came his slides for the presentation and on slide 17 there is a beautiful diagram of a vulnerability using sistjalin as, as an example and all of our coffee cups drop simultaneously. So Robert's paper pointed out, unfortunately, uh, uh, potential vo- vulnerabilities in the entire category of system call wrappers. That is, the d traces, anything that intercepts a call is potentially vulnerable, and I'll attempt to explain why later. So keeping in mind that SysJail offers both compartmentalization features and containment features thanks to it being in effect a super SysTrace profile. I'll leave it up to the individual operator to determine the exposure they face by running anything SysTrace related. I do not believe there are any remote vulnerabilities to SysTrace unless someone gets into your system is able to write and execute their own binaries, and specifically their own processes. As I described in our first interview, I've always found jails very useful to contain software or more accurately compartmentalize software and allow a binary to have its own dependencies resolved through shared libraries and either hosted in a full service sysjail or jail with SSH access or simply in a cheroot. That doesn't change. And i believe SysJail is safe on your own workstation without external users, and I'll leave that up to the operator to determine. As for the SysTrace issues, that's a a can of worms that, as Robert Watson explained, applies to every technology that involves system call wrappers. As I understand it, the SysTrace vulnerability goes like this. And I I highly suggest one consult their local scientist to get the perfectly accurate terminology, but I believe I'll do okay. So, as I understand it, the underlying issue with Systrace is this. It is simply part of the Unix model that any process can fork and spawn off a child process. And that child process can modify the memory contents of its parent. That's just inherent to the system. If a process makes a system call, the system responds on various criteria and makes a decision if it allows that process to say read or write from a file system based on permissions and the like. No problem. Now, in a system call interception environment, it is quite logical that it's beneficial to have an added layer of review of each process's permissions and criteria and we found the Systrace library to be fantastic for remapping IPs and processes and such to perform the jail magic. However, and here's the rub, because a process can fork, a malicious process can do so prior to inspection by a system call wrapper such as Systrace. And by doing so, it in effect saves off a copy of its process information. Once handed to systrace, systrace can say, this is not permitted, that's not permitted, and then proudly pass it off into the kernel. Now, because a copy was made during the fork, there's a window of time in which the child process could rearm the parent process with the information it had the whole time. And that would be diligently passed into the kernel by the SysTrace device, which has already cleared it. And one would need to get very intimate with their system calls and the actual damage that can be done through this mechanism. But if anything, uh, syscatals are open to playing around with. And for example, SysTrace could deny a certain syscatal being called and the forked-off child process could rearm the parent process, and that syscatol would be diligently executed by the kernel. That could, at a minimum, cause a denial-of-service attack that, at worst, could do anything with your system that a syscatl can do. This raises the issue of what to do about it, and Christoph and I are working on a short-term solution and later we will address a long-term solution. Niels Provost, the original SysTrace author, suggested that a look-aside buffer would provide a moderately good fix to this, and Christophs and I tend to agree. What the look-aside buffer would do is to save off process information into either the SysTrace device or somewhere in kernel space, such that if a fork were to take place, that particular Saved-off information would be disregarded, and the original would be preserved and modified by the SysTrace device as appropriate. That wouldn't incur too much overhead and is a workable hack on top of what's perhaps considered a workable hack. Chris Kristaps and I hope to have a prototype look-aside buffer-ready by EuroBSDCon this week, and we'll see what the community says. As part of that process, we will likely need to strip out quite a bit of systrace esoteric functions, many of which are not even available through the front end. So in the big picture, we have two issues. Robert Watson is seemingly on a campaign against all system call wrappers because it is indeed a, a fragile semi-dangerous use of the Unix model simply because of the parent-child forking situation. And looking at it from a SysJail perspective, pretty much every virtualization system out there is also a hack, be it the original FreeBSD jail, be it our tool, clever as it is using SysTrace, be it Zen, be it VMware, be it Parallels, be it your own root jail, be it Linux V server, you name it, they're all sort of a an, an awkward way to give any individual system the appearance of multiple systems, and sometimes it's the execution of multiple kernels, which seems quite redundant. And that's obviously a hot topic this year, two thousand seven, and. I'd like to first address some of the inherent multiplicity issues and then move on to a possible long-term solution. So multiplicity has always been a challenge on computers, and this will become clear extremely quickly. There was a time that multiple users were a challenge, and there was a time that no one could ever afford multiple hard disks. And suddenly, at one point, Multiple disks were indeed available, and when it came time that they're commodity, some clever folks came up with RAID, and suddenly it became a very challenging issue to mathematically determine what is the most efficient way to spread data among multiple disks, both for redundancy and performance, and that debate continues to this day. There was a time that multiple displays were difficult implement, and might comment that Windows took quite a long time to support that. SMP, symmetrical multiprocessing, remains a challenge to this day. The Dragonfly project spawned off specifically to address certain SMP issues. And come quad processors, which I see were announced by AMD I think today, um, we have more issues to resolve. So, at every stage that computers get cheaper and more available and components become more available, multiplicity becomes an issue and few of these issues are fully solved. So getting back to Systrace, uh, Tops and I both kind of took a break and put up our warning and didn't really think about it and I apologize to our, our audience, you probably didn't see any site updates even though the, the software certainly works and it's out there, but we certainly have to address the issues at hand. After the release of our software and Robert's report, Kristaps gave a series of kernel lectures at the University of Latvia and, oh, it was a great opportunity for me to shatter some of my assumptions and to just get my head on straight with some of the kernel issues. At the conclusion of the lecture series, Kristaps and I sat down and asked ourselves an old, old question, which is, what would multiplicity done right look like, considering that pretty much everything out there is a bit of a hack? So what we came up with is a proposal which has been received with enthusiasm by the University of Latvia, which is rare for them, and by KTH in Stockholm, to rewrite the top half of the kernel and design it for multiplicity from the get-go. That is, to do away with the notion of root, to do away with the notion of init, and have access to the system to always be in the sense of simply another instance as opposed to one global instance under which we fake numerous other instances. At this point, we're still in the planning phases. We haven't chosen a kernel to work with and that's got me a bit nervous because I've invested heavily in certain systems and it'll be quite interesting what Christoph comes up with and I'll keep you posted on that.
0: And would this result in a fork of a particular operating system or do you think it would just be a patch set against an existing
1: kernel? While the top half of the kernel rewrite would be rather extensive, I am hoping that we can stay in sync with the source kernel and keep the bottom half more or less in sync, taking into account security fixes and the like. I generally don't think that forks are a good thing. And I'll leave it at that.
0: So besides, you know, some of these issues that have surrounded SysJail's release, version 2.0 was a complete rewrite, but were there some other features or other changes that came with 2.0?
1: What we've done is polished the edges at the same time. It will now identify if it was executed as jail or SysJail, and I believe follow the FreeBSD jail convention. And I'm not sure if we got our limits in there to limit individual processes, but sadly, development promptly halted once we (laughs) came across the systrace debacle. One of the more exciting features for me is the Compat Linux support, and I hope to have some Compat FreeBSD and Compat Linux man page updates out there. I missed the 4.2 OpenBSD release, unfortunately, but... The idea of executing native, say, Fedora Linux binaries in a system that you can SSH into and appears to be a Fedora system is quite attractive. Open Solaris is currently doing that with their branded zones system.
0: So at this point, is SysJail available or will, be, will it be available again soon? Or are you waiting for that, that look-aside
1: buffer fix first? Sysjail is definitely available. It's at sysjail.org. It's at sysjail.bsd.le, an alias to that, which is more published out there. I certainly encourage people to try it, and I'd certainly like to see some more compat updates to get those synchronized with newer kernels, be it from FreeBSD or Fedora Linux. Well, it should work with any Linux. Like I said, I find it, I find it useful as a development tool, a utility. I do not yet recommend people use it for say web hosting services, but we are very eager to get that back on the table. Again, we do hope to have a, a look-aside buffer implemented that will get us back on track, and I encourage you to give it a try.
0: One last thing, in in some of our earlier conversations, you mentioned a licensing change. Could you discuss
1: that? Indeed. Um, We have relicensed, and uh, for political reasons, I don't like the sound of it, but we've gone from the BSD license to the MIT license, which is yet simpler than the BSD license. It pretty much maintains the same requirements that you give credit where credit is due, you do what you want with it, and while not holding the author responsible for anything that might go wrong. After five years living in Latvia, I've discovered that you can do amazing things with short contracts. I've seen several real estate sales with two-page sales agreements, where the document simply says who is selling what, to whom, for what price, how and where they pay, and where to sign in front of a notary. And I think anything that passes the, what we might call the mom test, are good things. And I don't quite feel comfortable with the direction licensing is going with, be it Open Solaris, or especially the GPL version 3. I personally have read several articles on the GPL version 3 and it still hasn't quite stuck and clicked with me. I know it's something about software patents and I feel that like most things right and wrong, these should be instinctive and if a kid can understand it it's likely that a lawyer can understand it and also pretty likely that a jury will understand it and I sense that we will be coming up to some GPL challenges in the next few years, and it will be an ugly mess that will make many lawyers very wealthy. Whereas if it was a 3-point, 2-point, simple statement of the facts at hand and the intent of the author, I would generally sense, well, I'm not a lawyer, that it would be more defendable. and The more and more I I think about this, the more and more I admire the BSD-style license. And I will go out on a limb here, but I feel that the GPL version 3 will be the best thing for the BSDs in 20 years. If you look back, it's always been about the license. The BSD lawsuit was, was resolved many years ago. They fixed it. We moved on. We've never heard complaints from Microsoft about BSD license software. We know they've used the TCP IP stack in their software. It, it just works. It is, it's, a, it's a sort of natural way to solve these issues. And I also believe that licenses do not change human nature. As we've seen, the router vendors of the world will not release their GPL code when required to, and quite obviously, with the BSDs, people will contribute back software even if they're not legally obliged to and under some viral clause that mandates such action. So for the sake of simplicity, we went with a yet simpler, easier-to-understand license. And I encourage others to do the same.
0: All right. Well, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today and for taking these complicated subjects boiling them down into a language that I can understand.
1: Well, thank you, Will. It's always a pleasure, and I certainly tried to get through those. I do invite your listeners to look into the issues at hand, because it's very educational to do so. And I look forward to meeting any of your listeners at EuroBSDCon this week.
0: All right. Thank you very much. Take care. If you'd like to leave comments on the website or reach the show archives, you can find them at bsdtalk.blogspot.com. And if you'd like to send me an email, you can reach me at bitgeist at yahoo.com. That's B-I-T-G-E-I-S-T at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening. This has been BSD Talk, number 128.